Step through the twilight lands with me. Through the darkening sunlight, come with me. If you let your eyes adjust, you'll follow the light of the old ones. They've come to dance by the straight tracks. It isn't far to go. You're walking along with me now. I'm guiding the way. This is my land. My domain. The Bear's Grove, they call this place. Sacred it is to life and light. See the tower at the standard of the Golden Bear? Come past the forge and well. Past the mine and spire. Come now into the hall they built of old. The old stories crowd around in the firelight waiting to be told. Be welcome round this hearth and hold. I bid you welcome to this, the sixth episode of The Bear's Grove. My name is Sam Chupp, and I'm very glad you're listening to me tonight. While we've been apart, life happened, so I am a little late getting this out. But that's what happens when you have a full, rich, and interesting life like I do. Coming up tonight, we have the Kids Corner, where we'll talk about live-action role-playing for kids. Then over in the Storyteller's Circle, we'll complete a three-part storytelling segment by talking about the importance of good non-player characters and internal consistency to your story. In the Romance and Gaming segment, I'll talk about how to set up and begin your romantic relationship role-playing game. And we have a new segment this week, Divine Inspiration, where we'll talk about religion and role-playing games. But first, the bear's growl. This week's growl has to do with intolerance, particularly religious intolerance. What you should know about me is that I have tremendous respect for all forms of human belief, from those who feel their Christian faith deeply, to those who follow the inspiration of reason and rationality in the face of superstition, to those who see the world as a balance of opposites, their belief a sacred charter to harm none. There is no wrong answer to the question, what do you believe, in my opinion, because what you do believe is fascinating to me, even if you believe in nothing or wish it to be known that you aren't certain of anything. What does really get to me, however, is when folks use their religious beliefs to oppress other people, particularly when it's directed at someone because they happen to play role-playing games. When I was eight years old, I attended a fundamentalist Christian school. I also started gaming around then. I was singled out in an open assembly of the entire school as someone who played those satanic Dungeons and Dragons games. That pretty much made my everyday life a living hell for a while. I could have avoided the attention by not standing up during the assembly. I could have sat quietly by. But I had really enjoyed my time playing D&D, and I didn't think anything was wrong with it. Indeed, I loved playing. So, though it took every brave bone in my body, when 
the pastor called for anyone who's ever played D&D to stand up. I did. I was one of only three people in the entire school who stood up. Most of the folks there had never even heard of D&D. Even if it was capable of damning souls, they wouldn't have been in danger. Playing D&D requires imagination and critical thinking, and unfortunately, I don't think any of them had very much at all. I game with and respect the beliefs of people who have every form of belief. If someone's a heartfelt Christian, for example, I won't ask them to roleplay a heathen worshiper of Norse gods unless they want to. I won't ask a neo-pagan to play a Catholic priest unless they want to. I won't make an atheist play a prophet of God unless they want to. You would be surprised how many want to. I do think, however, that people can learn a lot by visiting the beliefs of others in role-playing. I think that being able to put yourself in the position of someone else to see things how they see them is a blessing. Won't those who practice religious fundamentalism extend to me the same courtesy I give them? I hope so. I sincerely hope so. Next up, we have the kids in role-playing segment. kids corner this week i'm going to talk about live action role playing for kids the closest you can get to make believe is live action role playing and it's one of the best ways to get kids interested in role playing in general why kids can get dressed up in costumes they run around they're physically active and all of this activity can help them visualize another world another place another time There are many ways to do live-action role-playing, but they tend to be divided up into two categories, referring to their conflict resolution system. Contact and no contact. Contact conflict resolution tends to be exciting, slightly dangerous, and extremely active. People beat each other with foam core weapons, and in some game systems there are hit points for different parts of the body, And it's up to you to be on your honor to count hits to those locations. There is an element of danger only if you try to make your own foam weapons, because you can make them badly. So I would caution you to get help from someone local to you who knows how already, or to buy your foam weapons from a third-party vendor. What can I say? Beating each other up with foam weapons is not exactly the best representation of role-playing, But it is a lot of fun, and it is extremely active, and I might even go as far as to say it's athletic. With the help of a few people who gave me advice, my kids and I made a bunch of boffer swords, foam core weapons. 
We also employed Nerf projectile weapons, and I made spell packets out of squares of brightly colored cloth with birdseed inside. We spent many a happy weekend afternoon bashing each other with weapons, shooting each other with Nerf guns, and throwing spells at each other. Not much in the way of high role-playing got done, but it was a lot of fun, and we were all winded at the end of the day. It gave us a, a good workout. Non-contact LARPing is where you solve conflicts through some other means, such as randomization, dice, drawing chits, drawing cards, whatever, or through the use of another game like rock, paper, scissors. These kind of games are not quite as physical, but they are better for little ones who really can't hold their own in a sword fight. Because it's a non-contact resolution system, even a small seven-year-old boy can play a mighty warrior and have a chance to win a combat. I've run plenty of kids' LARPs with a non-contact resolution system, and I really prefer it. Kids can still run around in a non-contact LARP, but they aren't incited to violence against one another. When I play contact LARPing, I have a rule that says that people can't fight without an adult present and watching. With a non-contact LARP, I don't have that kind of restriction. People can engage each other with conflicts at any time and deal with the resolution themselves. Whether it's a contact or a non-contact game, there's nothing like a live-action role-playing game to really capture a child's imagination. Next week, I'll talk about how you as an adult can put on a LARP for kids you know. Next up, we have the Storyteller's Circle. But first, this word from a podcast I think you'll love. Patrick McLean here with another installment of Interview with a Zombie. Say hello to the folks, Bob. I tell you folks, Bob here just won't shut up about the Shanaki podcast. He's crazy about this unique, innovative approach to storytelling. Good point, Bob. There is a new episode every week. But Bob, as much as you love this podcast, we've had some emails from people using iTunes. Seems that they just don't know how to spell in Gaelic. So Bob, how do you spell the name Shanaki? Well, there you go. Straight from the zombie's mouth. Shanaki. S-E-A-N-A. C-H-A-I. Oh, right, right. The Shauna Key is also available at goodwordswriteorder.com. The Shauna Key is a story-inspiring and wonderfully written series of podcast stories. I heartily recommend you check it out. This week on the Storyteller Circle, we're going to talk about the importance of good non-player characters. As I have spent most of my gaming career being a referee and not a player, I tend to miss out a lot on the truly nifty experience of playing a single-player character. Instead, I've had to restrict myself to running several hundred other characters to support, back up, and help the story along. Here are some ideas to keep your non-player characters interesting. Names are important. Give the NPC a name that means something to you, that seems right to you. This is, after all, your character. 
the point at which an incidental character becomes a real NPC is when he requires a name. You might have a gate guard who is unusually polite to your player's barbarian, a bartender who remembers your starship captain's favorite beverage, a homeless person who begs a PC vampire for money every time they come hunting in a particular part of the city, but none of them are real characters until they demand a name. I'm terrible with names, so I typically have to write them down right away, or I will forget them. And there's nothing more embarrassing than to misremember an important NPC's name, or to forget the name of someone who is vital to a plot element. I have created an NPC booklet made of hole-punched lined index cards, but even then, I haven't always kept up with the NPCs. It's a tough thing to do, but the effort you take to remember them is worth it. One way to make an NPC particularly memorable is to give the NPC a hook of some kind. What is most striking about that NPC, and why should a PC care about them? Some good examples of plot hooks are like this. So let's say the gate guard who was nice to your barbarian may have at one time served in the wilderness where he learned the customs of the barbarian's tribe and grew to respect them. So to be memorable, he may even at one point address the barbarian in her own native tongue. The space saloon keeper may pride himself on remembering all his regular customers' favorite drinks without resorting to a computer. And he may make a big deal out of this to others. The homeless guy may exhibit a, a funny habit of always knowing where the vampire is and turning up unexpectedly, leading a properly paranoid player to wonder what is truly up with the bum. You can use descriptions, tones of voice and accents, and special signature events and or supporting characters to give the player a way to remember that particular NPC. For example, in my own D&D game, a particularly famous halfling bard is nearly always preceded by his tiny and very cute fluffy dog named Pocket. When my players see Pocket show up, they immediately guess that Shaglin Landrover, the bard, is nearby. And in my game, if you see a beautiful elven woman with strong young men draped over her, it's probably going to be Captain or Admiral, depending on where we're at in the timeline, Ilyana Merthen. She's a femme fatale who always seems to have extra cabin boys and mates around. Another way to make your NPCs believable is to give them active goals and motivations and to place them in the continuity of the world. You can do this by deciding what their affiliations are, what their needs are, and what their ethics and morals are. It's a lot of work to do this for each and every character, so I tend to follow certain archetypes up until the story or the player characters demand that I really must flesh out a character's personality. These archetypes are created on the spot and usually consist of an emotional adjective and a title. So, happy wizard, or grumpy navigator, or incredulous ghost... I pick some simple descriptors I can build on later, but don't require a great deal of commitment. I try to picture them in my head, and if I have that, and I have a voice for them, the rest is simple. 
Try to use each NPC as a camera lens through which you may view your story. Remember to stick with what the NPC knows and how they know it when the PCs are in the process of interacting with them. The trick here is to give just enough away to support the overall story without giving so much away that the PCs lose interest. I do want to warn you about the use of NPCs as plot bandages and other forms of deus ex machina. The term deus ex machina comes from Greek drama and is translated literally as God out of a machine. It refers to a sudden story intervention by a seemingly unstoppable or impossibly powerful force. Sometimes it can be extremely tempting to use a good NPC this way, but you should resist. Because a deus ex machina severely damages a player's ability to suspend disbelief. Plus, it costs your story a lot of dramatic tension and can sometimes result in players just throwing up their hands and saying, why didn't this happen before now? What good are we? Finally, I wanted to let you know about a concept I call the Game Master PC, or GMPC. The GMPC is a character that is well-loved by the Game Master, perhaps even their favorite. Even though there is a certain amount of impartiality given in a situation where someone is running a role-playing game, there is perhaps sometimes a tendency to make this particular NPC special and golden. The players will sometimes pick up on this and start to hang out with that particular NPC just on the basis that they seem to be lucky and people who are with them tend to stay alive. If you're going to have a GMPC, I say you should be upfront and honest about it, and I think you should place that character in as much moral danger as the players are facing. Go ahead and make the character, enjoy the character, but be sure that the character has some kind of restrictions on it being too powerful, and make sure that you are fair and reasonable about introducing the character. To be fair, also, you need to make sure the players know this character doesn't know any better than they do. Just because he's the GM's favorite doesn't mean everything he says is golden. NPCs can make or break your story. After all, it is not big dramatic events or cool special effects that make your story, but it's the characters who drive the plot and create moving interaction. Next up, we have our special segment on religion and role-playing. Accounts of people's experiences during the 70s and 80s with religious fundamentalists speaking out against role-playing games, people have tended to kind of gloss over the presence of religion in role-playing games in general. It was not until recently, with games like Inamine, Unknown Armies, and Mage the Ascension, that people really started to pay attention to religious belief and religion in role-playing games. It is ridiculous that adults should have to fear the inclusion of religion in their games, but in order to avoid offending anyone, many storytellers and game masters don't put religion in their games at all. That can change, however, and I think that if you do approach the controversial subject of religion in a reasonable and respectful manner, like sex, 
The inclusion of religion can both deepen and broaden your role-playing experience. I respect each person's right to decide matters of beliefs for themselves. I believe each person should put thought into religion and work to formulate their own belief structure. As a storyteller, however, you must put some thought to the belief or beliefs that will be espoused and evidenced in your story. There are many ways to approach this. One way is a magic realism sort of cosmology where the religions of the world are all definitively and literally true. This can be difficult to resolve if you're into strict interpretations, as some religions are strictly monotheistic, while others are pantheistic or polytheistic, meaning they have more than one deity. Another way is a kind of theological grand unification theory where one perceives deity as some sort of cosmological energy field. Star Wars does a good job of putting religion into a fairly easy-to-understand context with the Force. Another way is a kind of balkanized cosmology where some parts of the theological structure are easily handled because you can interact with them directly, but there's a larger, higher level where everything is mysterious and agnostic. Inomine is actually this way. Angels and demons? No problem. Miracles? Curses? Yep, we got them. The existence of God? We have no idea. God's not here, and God's not saved. Another method is the pure agnostic slash who knows cosmology, where you can make reasonable guesses as to the theological nature of the universes, but you can't know for sure. This works for games where religion doesn't play an everyday role, but is important from a mythological or legendary standpoint, like Vampire the Masquerade. Finally, you can go pure atheistic, hard science, and say that there are no gods, and that religion is a purely cultural phenomenon. The works of Frank Herbert seem to point to this concept. Religion is thought of as a tool for social control, rather than some kind of connection to an overall divine. However you choose to implement religion in your role-playing game, you need to be upfront with your players as to the nature of how you're going to play and allow them to understand your personal stance on religious aspects. That will help them to know what to expect. A player may not wish to play the part of a priest of a particular religion in a hard science, pure atheistic kind of game, for example, because it makes your character a bit superfluous. Still, I think of the character of Shepard Book in Firefly and Serenity, who has no specific connection to magical power or special divine energy, but he remains a person of great faith, and his faith seems to carry him through hard times as a character, even though it's he has no outward reason to base his faith upon. Next week, in part two of the religion and gaming segment, I will talk about the building blocks of a religion and how to make your in-game religions seem more authentic. Next up, we have our romance and role-playing segment.
role-playing, or R3 as I call it, is an intimate one-on-one role-playing game. How you go about creating and running one is a bit difficult, so I will try to take you through step-by-step. The first step is to pick a role-playing game to play. It must be something that lends itself well to one-on-one role-playing. Obviously, you must be both interested in it and must both agree. One person takes the role of the storyteller, while the other person takes the role of the principal player. In a one-on-one game, it is required for the storyteller to be all of the supporting characters and the antagonist. However, it is up to both of you to make the story happen. Creating the game has to be a collaborative effort, otherwise it's not going to be as nice of a romantic activity as it might be. In general, I eschew dice and mechanics in such a game, trusting each other to freeform things like combat and other story aspects that might need randomization makes for an an easier moving, less adversarial, more cooperative game. The kind of setting of the game is important. You might think that it has has to be something archetypically romantic like a desert island or a beautiful mountain castle or a Casablanca-style bar in space, but it doesn't have to be. As a storyteller, you have to create the setting for your R3 game to be somewhat appropriate for romance or romantic themes, but this is not to say that it needs to be a fluffy, bunny, white light-filled world where everyone is happy and bouncy like a toilet paper commercial. If you think about it, you can include locations in your otherwise adventurous and dangerous world that inspire a sense of sensual beauty and pleasurable surrounds. For example, even in a science fiction setting, you can borrow from Star Trek and have the planet of the California people, a place like Risa, or you could have a naughty space station like an orbital Las Vegas. In a fantasy world, a beautiful elven city that's planned built and landscaped to enhance the natural beauty around it would be a lovely setting or a rowdy rough and tumble district of the red lanterns where courtesans rule the night and young toughs strut about with deadly blades in a gothic horror game the delights of a large public museum after hours would lend a romantic touch to an otherwise dark world The idea of lovers twining under centuries-old tapestries wrapped up in an ancient heirloom silk is certainly an evocative one. Creating a player character for an R3 game is kind of tricky. You have to create one that is close enough to your real-life persona so that you can empathize with the character. The character has to engage your imagination. It doesn't hurt if there's an element of romance or sex in the character already. For example, let's say you decide to play a warrior character. It'd be best if your warrior character cleans up well, or has some kind of ability or power that links him or her with romantic activity. Or let's say you decide to play a computer technician on a starship. 
What can you add to the character to make her more sexy, more romantic? Perhaps in addition to being a crack computer tech, she's also knowledgeable in an ancient erotic dance form that she learned from her own people. Of course, some character types just ooze sensual romance and wild sexuality. Vampires, dragons, bald starship captains, wicked fairy princesses, spies of all kinds, courtesans, dancers, empaths, and ecstatic ritual magicians are all archetypes that inspire this kind of romantic attraction. It doesn't have to be the fantasy version of the love boat to be a good R3 game. The primary focus doesn't have to be romance, but there are some themes that can and should be returned to when you tell stories in this way. A happy ending. Although, this can take some of the suspense out of things, an R3 story needs to have a positive outcome relatively assured. It's not 100% assured that everyone will win through alive, but the ultimate happiness of the story's ending needs to be there. If the primary character is single, there needs to be a bunch of NPCs around for the primary character to become interested in. If none of the characters are suitable, the romance will go out of the setting. There needs to be peaks and valleys of action, exposition, and dialogue. It can be a bit overwhelming to deal with too much of any of these three elements, so keep them balanced. Family, honor, passion, mystery, and wonder make up romance stories. Include them whenever you can. And don't be afraid to make things sexy. In its own time, in its own way, it's important to go there. Just don't make it so prevalent that the theme of sensuality or sexuality gets boring. I realize that I've only touched on the broadest basics for running such a romantic relationship role-playing game. So, next week, we will speak of some resources you can draw upon to help guide you further. Well, you've come to the end of another edition of The Bear's Grove. I really appreciate you listening. I have also been very much appreciating the feedback I've received and the shout-outs I've been getting. Keep up the good work, folks. I love feedback. Good, bad, and even indifferent. Be descriptive. Let me know what you think. You can do that by emailing me at bearsgrove at gmail.com or by calling the Bears Grove voicemail line at 206-888-BEAR or 2327 if you can't dial the alphabet very well. Understand that if you call the listener comment line, you're more than likely going to be put on my show, so let me know if you'd rather not be. The Bear's Grove is brought to you by the Castle Caritas Studio, broadcast from a secret temple dedicated to an ancient and forgotten goddess. It is presented for your pleasure under a Creative Commons 2.5 license. Attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use. Today's music has been... In the intro segment, we have Forest in the Morning by Fumitaka Anzai. For the Kids' Corner, the song Incomplete Dream stood in for us by Gary from Chub Creek. The music beneath the religion segment is called Airstream by G.org. Finally, the music for the romance segment is called One Wish by Atlanta native and Lilith Fair performer Jessica King. 
Rock on, Jessica. Until next time, sweet dreams when you get them. My arms, and with dreaming I'd be through. If I could go back on all the choices I made, I'd say I was sorry and that I was to blame. I was to blame. I was to spend with you I'd make it last forever and I'd never betray you I'd never look back and I'd never want more I'd have the one I love and my heart would not be torn but I'm too Wishing would be done